Hey, you night owls. It's time for Midnight Theology. Thanks for joining us on the podcast where we talk all things Christianity, uh, culture, uh, anything about the Wesleyan Methodist movement, or just anything else we want to talk about. Uh, I am your host, Larry Frank, and I am joined by Adam Penn. Howdy. Gabe Wank. Good morning. And Sarah Wank. Good evening. Good afternoon. It depends on how you define yeah, midnight, maybe it's I guess. Good night. You, good night. You did that last time. <laughs> but it was just I mean, as good last time. Whatever. Hey, and Sarah Wank's here too. Hey, y'all. <laughs> Hey, so we're uh, we're so glad to be back uh, with you uh, today. Uh, we had um, some pretty deep episodes the last uh, the last two times. We did a two part uh, series on Boy. what in the world is happening in the United Methodist Church. Um, so we want to talk about something a little less heavy, but no less important today. Uh, a word that's been uh, going around in lots of circles, especially uh, in light of what recently has occurred at Asbury University. Um, and uh, Sarah's recent trip to uh, Cuba, we're going to be talking about revival. What What is revival? What does it look like? What's an awakening? What's an outpouring? And how is it that God is seeking to move in our culture and our time and what God is trying to do uh, in the church? So before we get there, just our catch up. What's everybody been up to? Happy Holy Week, by the way. What have we been up to? <laughs> Don't I mean, know. The, the, the mere mention of the word Holy Week probably describes what we've been up to. Yes. Yeah. Um, I would say we could all say we were probably a little busy. Been a little busy. It's nice to be under the same roof for a period of time in this house, uh, as there's, there was a bit of traveling going on uh, in our lives in this family. Um, but yeah, uh, fourth quarter just started for our son in school, so we know that uh, his his uh, school year is coming to a, a quick end with I think nine weeks left of school. So and baseball started uh, recently, so we are doing eleven and twelve year old little league baseball. That's a lot of fun. Coach Gabe. <laughs> Coach Gabe. Coach Gabe. Adam, what's it been up with you? Well, you know me, just been driving a Ford and serving the Lord. That's what I do. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> How about you, Larry? Well, um, Sarah and I got to finish the last uh, required uh, bit of coursework um, for our, even though we had defended, we had a little more contact hours we needed with our cohort. So uh, we went to Florida right. and it was Hudson spring break. So Gabe and Hudson uh, went along, uh, but I got to see our new house uh, while Ooh. we were down there and do some more hanging out uh, at Grace Church, continue to get acclimated to um, that climate um, and um, yeah, the climate, like temperature and climate of the church. Um, it's a really hard acclimation. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I feel so sorry for you. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but we, uh, you know, seeing see the house was cool. Uh, and then here at uh, Tremont, just trying to finish well, uh, we announced uh, just uh, last Sunday uh, that an appointment's been made. And uh, if you are part of Methodism in Illinois, you know well the name uh, Dr. Rose Booker Jones uh, will be the next lead mm-hmm. pastor at Tremont, and I'm just so pumped for this uh, this congregation to experience uh, a season of ministry under under her leadership, uh, and it's it's going to be good. So uh, that's, uh, that's a relief. Every pastor knows that moment of uh, uh, working really hard in a church uh, and then opening the parsonage door on take-in night to see who's walking up the... Um, uh, the sidewalk and going, well, that sucks. 
uh, and that was just not the reaction uh, that I had at all. So it's uh, uh, it's it's a relief for me and an excitement for uh, for this church. It's tremendous. Tremendous. In 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 tree month. Wow. We're just full of them today. Right, so let's. Uh, <laughs> Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can it's tell how this is going to go. It's too late for that. <laughs> take take a sip of coffee or whatever else you have and uh, <laughs> settle in because Gabe's got jokes today. <laughs> so hey, let's uh, let's segue and talk about um, our, our main topic. Uh, there's been uh, a lot of use of the word um, uh, revival lately. We'll get to Asbury uh, in a minute. Um, but what I really want to start off, uh, Sarah got to go to Cuba uh, with World Methodist Evangelism, um, an organization that all of us uh, happen to be a part of through Order of the Flame. Uh, Sarah got to be the one to uh, go and experience the incredible things that God is doing there. So, um, Sarah, I just want to hand the mic over to you and let you share a little bit about what God is doing in Cuba and what you learned there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I've been thinking about this moment because I have not yet had to try to articulate uh, what I absorbed over that that week there. And um, it's going to be difficult <laughs> uh, to explain it and to express it. Uh, and as anybody experiences when they kind of have something really unique, a unique opportunity, then um, you can't express or explain what it felt like, right? And... Um, uh, how significant it was in in some ways, but I, yeah, I think we have to begin by uh, giving thanks to World Methodist Evangelism in a couple of ways because we may not be here without them. <laughs> uh, meaning, we all knew each other right as pastors in the Illinois Great Rivers Conference, but we um, uh, we kind of solidified Midnight Theology was kind of birthed out of uh, World Methodist Evangelism. Yeah, late night conversations at certified beef and beverage. <laughs> yes. What was Certif- certified? What is it? Certified burgers? Certified? Uh, yeah, yeah, certified, certified burgers certified and beverage bur- or beef and, and beverage. beverage. I don't know. If you happen, all to I remember be in is a- their tater tots. They were fantastic. And boiled peanuts yeah. and mm. incredible mm. homemade bratwurst and Pimento sausage. That's the first time oh, I had ever had God. boiled peanuts in my life. Oh my! God. <gasps> it was so good. You're so uh, you are now not. Any longer uncultured. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> if you, I mean, I wouldn't. You, I wouldn't call bold peanuts uh, cultured. Cultured. I mean, it's if, a if culture. It, it's southern culture. <laughs> it's more. It's more culture than his midwestern self had before. That is true, but that's also not saying much. So <laughs> we we may or may not joke that we're all a little white bread uh, sa- sandwich wonder bread. Speak for <laughs> yourself. Did you know that the Quad Cities invented sliced bread? This is the claim to fame of the of the Quad Cities. I, this is one of the many claims. To I fame. feel I like we'll have yesterday. to come back to that. <laughs> so Cuba. So, <laughs> so World Methodist Evangelism is a global organization that supports the Pan Wesleyan family, right? Actually, Larry, why, why don't you say you know thirty seconds on what WME is and sure. um, how it helps. So, so World Methodist Evangelism is part of the World Methodist Council. Uh, it's the evangelistic arm of that. And as Sarah said, it services the Pan 
Wesleyan family. So United Methodist, uh, it's a good reminder for us that we're not the only Methodists out there. Uh, United Methodists, uh, all of the African Methodist uh, denominations, uh, AME, AME Zion, CME, uh, Salvation Army, um, Anglican, Free Methodist, Wesleyan, those are all a part of the global Wesleyan family and uh, WME um, uh, seeks to hold all of those together and and accomplish a, a Wesleyan evangelistic vision uh, throughout the the broader uh, Wesleyan uh, movement. Um, so we all got brought into that through Order of the Flame, uh, which is a, a branch off of that, and that's where we all really connected. Midnight Theology was born. Um, so many things uh, in in all of our lives, and uh, our move to Florida. All of that can be traced back somehow. Uh, to World Methodist Evangelism in one way uh, or another. So we're all very, very grateful for uh, their ministry. Kim, if you're listening, we love you. We love you. Yeah, it, and, it, you know, their hope is to resource and uh, and lift up leaders, um, especially pastors, clergy leaders, but, but also lay, lay people, uh, and equip them, encourage them to spread the gospel um, uh, in our particular Wesleyan tradition. And um, at, when we all met at Order of the Flame out of uh, at the start of COVID, uh, they also kind of unrolled a new program <clears throat> about um, like a fellowship program uh, that allowed a smaller group of people to have some more intense uh, mentoring and investment. Um, and this comes out of that. Uh, Larry and I got to participate in that fellowship program at the start of COVID. Um, but because of COVID, well, we didn't get quite the full benefit of, of what we had planned. And so uh, WMA and Order of the Flame very graciously uh, allowed those of us who participated in the fellowship during COVID um, to participate again uh, this year so that we could uh, take this trip to Cuba. Uh, the hope uh, was to give, um, give us a taste um, of revival and awakening that's been happening in Cuba um, for about 20 years now, which is just really hard to fathom. Um, I thought I knew what to expect. Uh, and then the doors to the airport opened and um, it all sort of turned upside down for me uh, and was uh, just an incredible experience um, that, that scrambled my eggs <laughs> In the best ways and uh, in some hard ways too. I was. Uh, you all have heard um, that as soon as I, you know, we got through customs and, and the doors opened to Cuba, and we all probably have a picture of what Cuba is like, thanks to you know movies and media and things like that. And it was both exactly like that and not at all. The doors opened uh, to the airport. You stepped outside, and two realities sort of smacked me in the face all at once. Uh, the first. Uh, was the smell of diesel fumes or gasoline fumes, right? Um, and tobacco. <laughs> uh, two two unique um, uh, smells that I hadn't smelled since 1985. I don't think <laughs> since before since the, the days of catalytic converters. Yes, yeah, before catalytic <laughs> converters. And when we uh, when our childhood McDonald's used to be divided into a smoking and non-smoking section, but without yes. a wall, right, of any sort in the middle. Do you remember those, those days? Were oh the yeah. Days. <laughs> I remember the days before there was a divide. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But our children will be like. What are you talking about? People used to be able to smoke inside. <laughs> uh, and the first thing I saw was this old, you know, 1957 
blue and white Chevy that was a taxi parked right out outside of uh, the airport waiting to, to help travelers get to their destinations. And uh, it was um, as if time had stopped um, at the end of the 50s, which you, you hear that a lot. Um, a, I had to learn a lot about uh, the history of Cuba. Um, the revolution uh, happened, please don't quote me, sometime uh, in the 1960s, early 60s. Um, the revolution happened and um, the Communist Party took over in um, politics. And uh, that just changed everything about the way that Cuba operated. And, um, and because of all sorts of uh, trade issues and policies that came with that, um, all sorts of development um, stopped in 1960. Uh, there, oh, of course, one of the things I was most surprised by was the poverty. Um, I was prepared for that on some level. Um, I don't think I was prepared for what I actually experienced. The poverty is poverty is uh, widespread. Um, there is not a square inch of Cuba that is not deeply affected by it, uh, and people are struggling more deeply than we will understand uh, economically. Um, and yet, they have a strength of spirit that we probably don't have because of that, right? There's a, they say Cubans are strong and they have fire and strength in them. Um, and, you know, they, that's in part because they have to tackle the daily issues of where their, their food is going to come from and how they will provide for themselves. And that actually has deeply affected the things of revival in Cuba. Um, so super long story short, uh, the Methodist Church has been experiencing awakening and growth and revival um, and turnaround uh, for about 20 years. Uh, when some of their leaders began to experience personal awakening um, and personal encounters with the Holy Spirit in times of prayer, as they pursued that, it caused them to sort of ask some really big questions about the institution of the church that existed. Um, these very structured and organized church systems that weren't very effective. Um, and it caused them to challenge some of the status quo about how the church was ordered and uh, structured. Uh, keep in mind, all of this is under communism. And uh, that means that like, uh, you cannot build new churches in Cuba from the moment the revolution happened. Um, any established or, or standing church buildings could continue with their um, ministry and operate as churches, um, but uh, but they could not build any new churches, right? They could, could not um, launch or create new ministries. But So as they're experiencing this restriction uh, of the government, they're experiencing um, personal uh, renewal and revival in very spirit-filled ways, and it causes them to sort of upend the institution a bit and reinvent how ministry is done. And uh, the first stop that we made um, was to their seminary, um, to the to the Methodist Seminary uh, in Cuba, uh, where the president of the seminary and many of the students uh, gathered around to tell us about what the seminary experience is like. Now, each of us attended seminary. It's required for ordained pastors in the United Methodist Church, um, and this isn't that. Um, so our very first day, we're hearing um, the reality that their seminary experience uh, is for lay people um, and for pastors, uh, and it happens at an earlier uh 
place in call, and they exist much more to equip the layperson uh, than to um, educate uh, ordained seminarians, uh, meaning um, they get to come to seminary as laypeople to experience uh, theological and ministry training. Um, and they only become ordained pastors after they have uh, after they have uh, shown the evidence of fruit in their own life, in bringing people to Christ, in planting churches, um, in creating mission outposts. Um, and so they have um, what has happened is the revival of spirit has caused them to give power away uh, to lay people, um, and it has created a sort of impassioned. Uh, fiery spread of the gospel that um, was uh, just blew us away. Uh, you know, we're all ordained pastors who were uh, on the trip, and um, it is the exact opposite of what the most churches are experiencing right now. Right? So, um, <clears throat> uh, well, I, you, I think it could be argued what you just shared—the way they are doing things to build the churches—is the exact opposite of the way we're doing them here. But it's very right. Wesleyan. Yes. <laughs> Imagine yeah. that. So a lay person experiences a call, right? And they go, I don't know what it's like, but I think I may want to be a pastor. And they're immediately equipped and resourced with uh, seminary classes, right? Theological training. Um, and they get to experience that theological training as they're doing ministry on the ground as lay people. And they only get the title of pastor after they have built a church, Right? Boom. So if you want to be a pastor, uh, you first have to convert uh, new, uh, uh, you know, people who are new to Jesus, uh, 25 to 35 people uh, who did not know Christ before, who now know Christ, uh, who, who went through um, a series of discipleship classes that led to their baptism, a 12-week discipleship class that led to their baptism, and they officially join a church body um, and uh, are baptized members of the church who then contribute to that church. When you have 25 to 35 of those people, then we will ordain you as a pastor, right? But you've gotten the theological training and the resourcing along the way first. And um, I know this doesn't speak so much to revival, or it doesn't seem like it does, that I'm speaking more to institution, uh, but actually that is the evidence of revival, right? That they have given power uh, back to lay people, right? They equip lay people. Uh, lay people are having uh, real experiences uh, with uh, with Christ, with the power of the Holy Spirit that cause them uh, to want to transmit the gospel to their friends and neighbors. Uh, and then the call is developed out of that, right? And it, it's this much more organic sort of natural uh, movement of the Spirit. What what we do in our institutional churches is we, uh, people get called, we equip them, and we hope they're effective, right? Um, what is expected in Cuba is that a person has had a real-life encounter with Jesus Christ in such a way um, that they're already effective. And when mm -hmm. they prove effectiveness, then they can be ordained uh, for leadership in ministry. That's the difference. Uh, you know, ordained pastors are essentially... Uh, equippers, right? Um, uh, they're raising up leaders, they're identifying, they're equipping them, they're educating them, and they're sending them back out. Um, if we did it, what you just described in the United Methodist Church in the United States, we think we have a clergy shortage now. <laughs> if there was an expectation of effectiveness before ordination, 
I don't. It's not even worth speculating. And and it's not even it's not the only place happening too. That is, uh, uh, we've we've all heard that I can't say where uh, of the church in Brazil, the Methodist Church in Brazil. Yeah. Uh, essentially, like you make a church and I'll make you a pastor. Okay. Give um, me a church and uh, I'll give you a title. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So there's this. Um, there's a personal passion and purpose that's fueled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, but since we're talking about revival today, let me also just quickly say people are having uh, real encounters with the Holy Spirit. There's manifestation of the Holy Spirit in ways that we don't often experience in the white Western uh, church. Um, there is the the very real expectation um, that as soon as you know Jesus, you should be experiencing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? Um and that actually becomes some of the fuel for the transmission of the gospel. Because in a country that's um, uh, hurting in so many ways, um, then they're receiving something of the Holy Spirit that they can't get in a worldly manner, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not coincidental to me uh, that their situation is difficult, but the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is really rich. Um, and so everywhere we went as American pastors, um, they fed us. They gave us wonderful Cuban coffee, and they prayed for us. They prayed over us, uh, and they they prayed in spiritual language and uh, prayer language, and they expected filling of the Holy Spirit and fire. Right, um, that that is the default for the Cuban Methodist Church is the fire of the Holy Spirit, and 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 one of the most profound takeaways for me is that that is not our default. Our default is um, let's do another Bible study, dig a little deeper, grow in our way knowledge. Out. Yeah, program mm-hmm. our way through ministry. And please, oh Lord, would you fill us with the Holy Spirit as a as an afterthought? Um, and we're hesitant about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they are uh, they're running in them, right? Um, they are spirit led and spirit fueled, and it. It drives everything they do and how they equip people and they resource the church. Let me give you a couple of quick um, statistics about how this is um, uh, playing out in real life. So uh, the island of Cuba, of course, is divided into different districts, and those districts, um, you know, just help create regions that district superintendents can help manage in resourcing the local church. So there was one particular district that we traveled to that's kind of on the south um, southwestern side of Cuba that um, uh, they in the last six months, one district in the last six months, have seen more than 400 people come to Christ. Um, they have... Wow. They're planting. Wow. Uh, they've planted in those six months a hundred um, uh, churches. Now, a church looks different. We think church plant and we think attractional church ministry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're having to find empty houses and um, and get that 20 to 30 people right inside a house. Uh, but they're doing the things of church, right? They're worshiping. They're having fasting services every Saturday. Uh, they're doing healing services. They're bringing people to Jesus. Ooh, ooh. They're equipping. Say something about that. Say something about the fasting. Uh, yeah. So um, it, I don't remember if it was that same district or not, but um, they bust us in so that we could um, – have kind of a Q&A with the lay leadership there and what they were doing. And when we arrived, they took us to this beautiful little um, covered, 
like back porch, right, to a house. And they had um, some snacks and coffee prepared for us. And the district superintendent kept apologizing. Uh, He said, I'm so sorry that we have to meet out here on this porch and that we can't meet in the the sanctuary right now. I'm so sorry. And he goes, but it's Saturday uh, and we're having our um, Methodist prayer and fasting service on Saturday like every Methodist has every Saturday. So you all understand why we can't meet in the sanctuary because Uh – because. Yeah, because we're having our prayer and fasting service just like every Methodist has all over the world every Saturday. So you totally get get it. And we, yeah. we uh-huh. all know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. of course. Of course. Yes, sure. I know, yeah. I know exactly what Saturday. you're talking about. Yes. Uh, where they gather every Saturday and they've fasted since the night before and they have a prayer service and they break fast together every Saturday. And, uh, you know, that's not coincidental to experiencing more of the Holy Spirit and more revival. Um, and one of the most profound moments, I think, was at that same church. Uh, we eventually went into the sanctuary, which uh, they had to. The only way the Cuban government gave them permission uh, to open this particular house church was because um, they said they were building a garage. So they they and the the pastor's wife goes, uh, "We're not lying. Uh, we it is a garage. We park our son's motorcycle in there at night. <laughs> uh, but they have that's where they have worship. So we went in." Uh, to sit with um, some of the seminary students. And this was like um, a seminary extension site. And uh, there were probably about 25 um, young lay people gathered for their seminary courses for the day. Uh, Most of them or all of them were like had to be under the age of 30. And um, we asked them a bunch of questions um, about their experience and about um, what God was doing there. And at the end of our time, our translator, just out of, um, I, I think, being very polite, said, do you have any questions of the Americans? But we were very clear that we were here to learn from them, not they have nothing to learn from us at this point, right? Uh, <sighs> and this this young man stands up and goes, um, and he's probably like, I don't know, 19 or so. He stands up and he goes, I have a question. And he begins by saying, we all know the economy in America is very strong, uh, which A, uh, there are not many Americans right now that would say the economy is very strong. But if you live anywhere else around the world, our economy is none other, right? Um, so he goes, we all know the economy in America is very strong. And um, uh, so what hit me about that was both <laughs> the reality of their economic situation and that they have an awareness of our situation, Right. They're not Mm -hmm. like cut off from what's happening. And so he goes, uh, and we all know that Americans have everything they need, right? Uh, They have everything they need and then some. And we all know, he says, that the church in America uh, is hurting. I think he said a stronger word than that. I just can't remember. But uh, he's like, so we all know that that there's a problem with the church in America, and that's a punch in the gut alone, right? Like uh, these people who are struggling and hurting are are looking at our churches and going, they've got a problem, mm-hmm. right? Um, and he goes, when people have everything they need, um, how do you help them know that they need Jesus? How do you help them believe that they need Jesus? And mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys can't see Larry. He just threw his hands up in the air. Um, I think all there were like ten of us. I think we all immediately jumped up out of our chairs and like went, "We don't know. Like 
you tell us, you have something uh, that we have not figured out, right? Um, that in your economic desperation, you have found purpose and fulfillment and awakening uh, in the Holy Spirit. And this this guy, this young man is pointing out that in our strong economy, we have need for nothing, including Jesus, uh, and mm-hmm. that it's killing the American church. And we have not, as pastors and leaders, figured out how to help awaken the church with the reality that there is something more than that. So, this revival that they're experiencing is outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but it also does things like um, it gives them purpose when when their their only hope is like you know a government job that doesn't give them purpose. They just mm-hmm. it's communism, right? So they get a check for having a title of a particular job, whether they do anything for that job or not. But they get to go out in their free time and change lives for Jesus. And plant churches and open missions and um, and they are helping people with like uh, you know food and provisions, but because nobody has anything, they're they're sharing what they have. But for us, mission is writing a check right to feed the hungry. For them, mission is I'm going to give you uh, what the world can't give. Right? I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce you to the person of Jesus and to the power of the Holy Spirit, and He can satisfy what the world um, cannot satisfy for us right now. And so there is a, a deeper meaning and impact and significance in what they're offering the world, um, uh, the world around them. And it was just, um, I think we all left going. We have it so backwards. We have it so backwards. We have emptied the Holy Spirit of his power uh, in America, right? We have put him on the back burner. We have institutionalized the church. Uh, We have made our faith an academic uh, uh, programmed-based reality. Um, We have tried to attract our way into church growth, and they showed us uh, the new t- the power of the New Testament church, what happens when you equip lay people, when people have encounters with the living God. And um, I'll leave you with this story that one of the DSs um, said, uh, bring, your, bring people, all I need is three days with them, three days. And he goes, have them come and live the way that I live. And he said, not the way you're living this week, because they treated us like guests. I mean, yeah. we were treated in a very extra special sort of way as guests of the bishop. And um, they, he said, no, come live, like, come live in my house with me for three days. I do not need any more time than that. <laughs> because when you don't know where your your next meal is come is going to come from, and then literally Jesus physically provides it for you, uh, then you will need nothing else to awaken your spirit and change your life forever. Um, so, so when they're experiencing God's provision or God's healing, uh, it is meeting a need uh, that their economy can't satisfy, and 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 that's giving them identity and purpose uh, and filling them with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And there's probably lots and lots of reasons why the church in America isn't experiencing this. Uh, but that wonderful Cuban young man named the reality for us when he was like, you don't need anything. And when you don't need anything, there's no need for Jesus. Um, Mm -hmm. And their desperation, um, in their desperation, God met them with revival. Um, 
but that's often the case, isn't it? We're seeing the church grow in countries all over the world where there is physical desperation. Uh, the church is growing because the Lord is meeting them there. Um, and so I think I'll be sitting on my experience for a long while uh, with them. Uh, for, some, <clears throat> for some more perspective, we went to the Bishop's Church one Sunday. It's one of the churches that has you know, physically been standing since before the revolution. Uh, it's a it's a very successful church. Uh, I think they have, they worship with like more than 2,000 people a Sunday in that particular church in Havana. Uh, and he goes, um, I prayed that God would help make our church a, a wealthy church 20 years ago um, so that we could help equip and support church planting and missions in places where the church cannot reach, Right. Um, and he goes, and God has answered our prayer. He's filled our um, our church with doctors uh, and millionaires. We're a millionaire church, he said, uh, because a doctor in Cuba makes $40 a month. Um, what you say, I don't understand. Like, for, like, comparatively, 40 U.S. dollars? Yes. Yep. And um, the a Methodist pastor in Cuba makes $20 a month. Uh, they live in the church, uh, which is a, a small house, what would be most of our garages, and they share their house uh, with all of the ministries of the church, right? They have they've found something. Um, even though when you're smacked in the face with the uh, fumes of gasoline and tobacco and you're overwhelmed in some ways by the poverty, um, I wish we had what they had. I think it might come down to the fact that, like Sarah, as you're alluding to, the the reason why we're not experiencing this here has to do with the fact that we do have everything, and the only thing Jesus wants from us is our nothing. It's a lot harder to bring your nothing before Jesus when you have everything. And especially during this Lenten season where self-denial is a focus, you think about these folks in Cuba who are intentionally engaging in fasting and prayer uh, every single weekend when they probably had involuntary fasting forced upon them at some point that week because they they couldn't eat. They couldn't afford to eat, right? Yeah. Um, and yet they are still choosing to fast, choosing. right? They are still choosing to fast to, so that they can bring their nothing before God and be filled. Um, and I really think that if there's any hope for us experiencing that here in America, we have to get serious about our practices of self-denial, our spiritual disciplines, really reclaiming the power of the Methodist way, which was taking these things seriously, um, so that as wealthy people, uh, we have a better chance of getting to that place where we can truly say, Jesus, I bring nothing but myself before you. Please fill me. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I and, think that's and a key it takes, thing. Yeah. Take some intentionality to get there. I, I think it goes back to what you said in the very beginning, Sarah. Like it began with their leaders experiencing some personal awakening um, that that came out of desperation. I mean, our movement was built out of Wesley's feeling of spiritual bankruptcy um, and mm. desperation. Watching the Moravians on the ship who were calm and collected, and all of the English were fearing for their lives, and you know how badly things went in Georgia. And John just realized uh, that he was he was spiritually bankrupt uh, in this, and there was a desperation that was birthed in him. 
Yeah, and for for some of them, that desperation is the physical economic situation, right, um, of God needing God's provision. Uh, but for some, including those leaders early on, it was a desperation of like, we're not getting this right. We've institutionalized the church. They were in partnership with another denomination for their seminary, and they went, um, this is too academic. We're missing um, equipping lay people. Uh, the theology may be moving in the wrong direction. And these leaders had the conviction that they were going to have to do the hard thing of breaking this relationship, uh, long-established relationship with an institutional seminary in order to do their own thing, right, of equipping people in the way they believed it. So they were convicted around, um, you know, some some institutional things uh, that would take real guts for us to challenge, right, in our, uh, you know, American theological system. Um, and uh, But the Spirit seemed to lead them and to do things differently, right, for the sake of the church. And I think we have to add to that desperation. They were also desperate uh, for people who legitimately didn't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. There was a desperation for the movement of the gospel and for lives to be transformed. Um, and quite frankly, I think we become very selfish about faith. Uh, we want to uh, go deeper with Christ, right? We mm. want to experience more of Jesus. We, we don't have a level of desperation that the people around us are dying in hopelessness, Say right? That. Um, I, there's also, right... Um, they're they're still experiencing some things like witchcraft and idolatry um, that affects uh, how they um, feel this urgency to offer the gospel uh, because they feel like they're they're standing uh, there's a, a wickedness around them that they're they're needing to offer an alternative to um, and so they live like the New Testament church uh, they live they don't live like the world they live differently than the world to to help people see that there's a way uh, that is different. Um, but like, it's not coincidental to me that they're experiencing manifestation of the Holy Spirit uh, where they're also standing against the things of witchcraft and idolatry, right? So the Lord is showing up to prove that he is the one true God. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't, don't, don't gloss over that. Uh, witchcraft and idolatry are still very much alive in the United oh, States, yes, yeah. all around us, and we've we've become blind to it. We've pushed it aside. We've categorized it in a different way. We think about it in a different way, and uh, it is certainly around us. I I was surprised when I moved to where we are now here in the Quad Cities. I saw signs. I saw evidences. I saw actual bumper stickers and window stickers that revealed to me that this is a way of life for some people in this community and I hadn't seen that in some other places where I've lived here in Illinois but I do remember it uh, from my Northeast uh, life in the Northeast Pennsylvania New York I mean you know there uh, th there's a lot of history there uh, and it's been in the background it's been literally in the dark or put into the shadows uh, and here we are um, kind of facing it again uh, it's been rising up yeah there are we face the same realities we're just sort of in denial about them um, yeah. being realities. And uh, we, we've we got to renew our desperation for um, manifestation of the Holy Spirit, personal encounters with the Holy Spirit, people coming uh, to experience Jesus who did not know him. I mean, can you imagine in our, our annual conference for the last several years at conference, uh, uh, we get 
sort of scolded or reminded that the majority of our churches will have zero professions of faith over the course of a year, uh, but one district in six months in Cuba has seen 400 professions of faith, right? My God, uh, my God. We're missing something. Um, and, and if we could grab these this desperation in similar ways, we might begin to see uh, small pockets of awakening popping up uh, around us. And and actually, as Larry mentioned earlier uh, in our introduction time today, that we are seeing pockets of awakening uh, happen here in the States, most recently, of course, um, in the outpouring uh, in Kentucky, which is near and dear uh, to many of us. What are you guys thinking except, and except feeling Adam, about what happened there? Yeah, yeah, I'm not cool enough to be part of the Asbury crowd. <laughs> we, we adopted you. I, I think uh, w- what you said, Sarah, with it being born out of desperation, that's really what we saw um, at Asbury. And it, anybody can go online and read about what happened. I mean, I don't know that there's there's anybody that is unaware of what happened in, in Kentucky. Um but there was a sense of desperation around it. Like my favorite interview I heard about this ongoing worship chapel service that that never stopped um, for for many days at Asbury was from uh, a student leader on campus who said that that every um, every evening before there was a morning chapel service, there was a group that was getting together and they were praying for the Holy Spirit to show up in a new and unexpected way. Mm. Uh, mm. I mean, yeah. so what we saw at Asbury was God honoring that desperation. Um, yeah. And no, regardless of what the long-term effects of that are, I mean, because that's been argued backwards and forwards. Is it is it revival? Is it not? Whatever. The Holy Spirit showed up in a very particular way to a particular group of college students. And there has been some spreading out of that. Lee University and other places um, where there's now uh, these kind of things breaking out on other college campuses. But it was born out of desperation. And you know, 10 years ago when I left Asbury Seminary, we were praying for the Holy Spirit to show up in the Asbury community in this way again, um, as he had in the past. Um, So that, that desperation, that hunger was there. And I think that's the part we miss. Like we uh, see extraordinary, um, what seems to us to be extraordinary things like Asbury, which was really just the ordinary way the Holy Spirit operates. Um, But we see those things that are extraordinary and we think, um, we've got to go chase that. We've got to find that. It begins with desperation in us, and it can happen anywhere. Um, <laughs> but it, it begins with that. Um, Gabe and Sarah and I got to go to dinner church in a trailer park um, <laughs> in in Florida, uh, and uh, it's and Hudson. Yeah, yeah, Hudson was there too, uh, and he got to he got to eat some meatloaf with uh, <laughs> with, <laughs> with us. Um, but it's 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 a trailer park where. Um, it's a slum. I mean, they own their trailers, but it's six hundred dollars a month to park their trailers there. And like walking down the street in Pondella, looks like you're in Nicaragua. I mean, it, yeah. it's 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 rough. Um, but as Grace Church has stepped in there and started meeting some physical needs with rehabbing trailers, a church community is forming there. Um, and as it gets hotter in Florida, they're going to need a building. And as we gathered around this abandoned building in the middle of the trailer park and laid hands on the building and prayed for the Holy Spirit to move supernaturally in the heart of the owner of the the trailer park to to let Grace Church rehab and use that, it was undeniable the the desperation of of we need this because this community is forming here in in this way. Um, but it, it was just undeniable what the Spirit is doing in in that community of a group of people that most people just look past 
you know, mm-hmm. and the way this this white, uh, mostly white, a fairly well off uh, Cape Coral campus of Grace Church is is melding themselves together in in real community um, in the middle of a trailer park. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and it was born out of that desperation, and I think that's that's a that's a foretaste of of awakening. Yeah, and that and that desperation that moves you outside of yourself and and fixes your eyes upon God and neighbor, right? You know, because that's really the the effect of spiritual awakening. It's it fixes your eyes outside of yourself, and if if there's anything to be said for our current cultural moment is. It, it is so much navel gazing, right? Yeah. Um, and just mm. self absorption, and when you get desperate and 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 say, "I what I need, I cannot find within myself, but it can only be found outside of myself." Uh, not only in my relationship with God, but with other people, um, that that changes things, you know. Um, and uh, you know, I think about especially. A good example of a wealthy person humbling themselves before God, we find really uh, in Psalm 40, uh, King David, uh, who was king of Israel at the time, described himself as poor and needy, Psalm 40, <laughs> 17. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Um, for a king to realize his need and that he truly has nothing in God's eyes and humble himself before God. Um, that's why it can be said King David was a man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. Um, it was because we we can't experience this until we realize how, how little we truly do have, even in a, a place where we could say we have everything we need. Well, we, we're, we lack the one thing we truly need, right? Yeah, and to be clear, this isn't about wealth. Because no. uh, so in my um, uh, writing devotionals during Advent for Seedbed, I alluded to this concept, right? That it's harder sometimes to uh, to find Jesus uh, when you don't think you need anything because you can provide everything you need. And there's always a little pushback around that. Uh, that don't dismiss people who whom God has given means to. Sure. Uh, and this isn't that, right? Uh, sure. You know, the bishop's church in Cuba. His aim was to make them a church of millionaires, but so that so that they could change Cuba with the message of the gospel and and take the message of Jesus out into the um, to the barrio to the country right to uh, experience um, real transformation in Christ. We know that sometimes uh, wealth is necessary to equip and propel the movement of the church, but um, it's it's the internal state of heart to say, yes. I, I can save myself. I don't need anything. I've got all of this under control, and uh, there's no personal desperation. It's not circumstantial, and that's that is the thing we have have mischaracterized sometimes is the sense that. Um, uh, we can order our way into life in Christ. And mm-hmm. um, quite frankly, and this may get me burned at the stake, uh, what I leave Cuba with is we are Pharisees and Sadducees who have made religion a, a checklist of things you do. Mm-hmm. And they are the New Testament church um, that is experiencing uh, a personal desperation and hunger and awakening. I, I and think that's, that's not so categorizing key, though, all of us. Right. Yeah. I, I think what you're saying is really important. Awakening always starts with a personal awakening. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Like so, the the bishop is a in Cuba is awakened to this this need and sense of mission and vision, and then steps into we need these resources so make us a church of of millionaires. And where we have that backwards, a friend of mine posted on Twitter the other day that most Christians are educated beyond their obedience. We, yes, we've, yes, we, we've yes, yes, yes. made it the corporate. Yes. We've made it the corporate thing first. Yes. The, the the awakening we're seeking for the church begins with us and our obedience to to the Holy Spirit uh, and God's will for our lives, and then it moves to a corporate place. It will revival will wow. not start with an institution. It will not start uh, in in a corporate way. It begins with the desperation of God's people in very small ways, and then ripples out. Yeah, Amen. and that desperation we have become consumers of. Uh, of Christianity, right? So, so we think desperation is. Um, I need more knowledge of God, right? I, oh, and I, I need, need more, and every pastor, I need more butts in the pews, yeah. butts and bucks. <laughs> yes. That's revival, butts and but, bucks. But even <laughs> the people in my seats would go. They would go. I can't. I can't take revival out because I need to know more first. And we, we've sort of become consumers of an academic gospel, uh, thinking that if we have enough of that, then we can uh, be sent, right? But it's not a personal desperation to say, I I want to surrender more of myself to Jesus. I want to be more obedient, right, to the things of Christ. I want to taste more of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then out of that sort of consumerism comes, you know, the outpouring to other people. Yes, yes. Principles in the world uh, do not highlight uh, surrender and humility as to be sought after. We we have a natural uh, view, I think, of of the world order to to survive. You fight and you overcome and you dominate. And you, you 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 never surrender. I mean, you know, all the sports fans, all the all the things in life. You know, you, you do. You have to scratch and claw and climb uh, to, to to literally survive uh, in 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 our economy, uh, in our in our politics, in in all of the systems. And yet, the gospel, the kingdom of heaven coming near, turns everything upside down. Mm-hmm. And Jesus Himself humbles Himself before the will of His Father. Mm-hmm. To the point of death, yeah. to the point of suffering, to the point of scorn. And for us, we have to learn from him, from Jesus. And you know, all throughout scripture, there there are examples, there's a model for what we are to do. How do we come into that place of desperation? How do we come? How do we prepare ourselves outside of the season of Lent, outside of, you know, and a great example, Adam, of, of King David, you know, a thousand years uh, before Christ comes onto the scene in the flesh. Um, but just five uh, centuries prior to Christ coming onto the scene, there's Ezra. And Ezra, through the Spirit, is penning Chronicles, which is a first and second Chronicles, kind of a history of the Hebrew people. Uh, and we read this text in Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And that's one step of that personal repentance of coming into the presence of God in surrender. If we will humble ourselves, seek God, turn away from everything that's not God, of God, then God will hear, God will become present, there will be forgiveness 
Forgiveness is not the beginning of revival. Repentance is the beginning of revival. You know, yeah, I, I, as you were sharing a new word, I was reminded of a new word when I think about Cuba. You know, one is um, desperation, personal desperation and circumstantial, right? Uh, another you all just reminded us of is obedience. You know, part of what they're doing is just acting in the direction that Christians are supposed to go, right? They're just... They're just doing the things that Christians are supposed to do. What and a novel ob- concept. Right. They're obeying uh, in the direction of revival. Uh, but then there's also an expectation, right? There's a sense of expectancy that, of course, God does these things, right? Uh, of course, God pours out the Holy Spirit. Uh, of course, He will awaken me. Of course, He will provide our needs. Of course, He will grow the church and bring people to Himself. Um, and and maybe it's desperation mashed up with expectancy. Those people at, at Asbury that are praying the night before, they're praying in desperation, hoping that God will do it, but they also have an expectation He will, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we get so caught in the desperation piece as Americans, I think we go, oh, God, if you would, you know, <laughs> if, if, if I could experience a taste of your spirit. I, in Cuba, there's a sense of, well, of course you're going to experience the Holy Spirit. Every everyone who believes has the power of the Holy Spirit in them, the fire of the Holy Spirit in them. Uh, of course, the fire of God is going to show up. Uh, it, it's desperation mashed up with expectancy, and I think that the people at, at the Asbury uh, outpouring, um, those behind the scenes, maybe right, had a sense of that. Um, and we didn't quite get into it, but um, there have been critics of uh, these moments of desperation and outpouring and awakening that are happening around the world. And, and um, I would just say, um, what is there to criticize of people becoming more awakened and experiencing more of the Spirit and um, growing in personal desperation and pursuit of Jesus? And, if, uh, and I can only pray that what happens uh, in Cuba or at Asbury rubs off in the Quad Cities, right? Um, I can only pray for that. And in Tremont, and in Morton, and across the the nations, mm-hmm. uh, you know. But as you said, Sarah, what is there to criticize about the purity of it? But there's certainly a lot of things to be said about the responses that were seen, the actions that many took in light of what was happening. That kind of soiled or tried to shadow or overshadow uh, the the true things that were happening as hearts were being um, rent unto the Lord. Um, I think it's Larry, you've, it, it, you've articulated very well some of that. I think it's it goes back again to that we're we're educated beyond our obedience. Um, yeah, like to to those of us who were formed in the Asbury community, of course that was happening. I mean, there there was not a moment where I doubted that the Holy Spirit was showing up in a very profound way uh, to the students that gathered in that chapel service. Um, but we were formed in that, so I mean, so I think. To, to an to an outsider that doesn't feel that sense of desperation, um, I, I kind of get where they saw um, something that needed to be critiqued um, in in that educated mindset, and it's just one of those things where I think it, like you said, Gabe, it begins with repentance. Let's get desperate before the Lord and pray um, that we would experience the way of Jesus um, in a in a in a simpler but much more expectational way, um, as the the New Testament church did, and stop overcomplicating it. Um, 
and here, here's our shameless plug. One of the ways that, that all of us have experienced uh, renewed devotion to the way of Jesus uh, has been in traveling to the Holy Land um, and, and walking in the places where, where, where Jesus walked. Um, and we shared on the last episode that uh, we're going uh, in uh, March the 3rd through uh, 12th of 2024. Uh, and we would love to have you all join us. Um, uh, through educational opportunities. Uh, we're going to be at all of the sites around the Galilee and Tel Dan and Mount Carmel, Nazareth, Megiddo, uh, Jericho, Qumran, uh, Jerusalem, Bethlehem. Um, and it, it'll just be, um, for me, it's always a time of, of, of reawakening um, yeah. to the simplicity of, of the Jesus way uh, as we, we walk that. Um, that path together. Um, so Adam will put that link in the show notes. We've got it on our on our social media accounts. Uh, we'd love to have you uh, join us. Um, the price is there. It's uh, forty two forty six uh, a person, and that is round trip, uh, airfare, uh, your hotels, breakfast and dinner daily, um, and it is truly the trip of a lifetime. Uh, and if you've been with us before, uh, we're trying some. Di- we're th- doing some different sites this time, uh, and we would just love to have you uh, join us in. In, during Lent of 2024. Uh, so that's all the time we have for today. Uh, we just encourage you to get desperate before the Lord uh, and seek awakening um, personally. And uh, as, as that happens in smaller uh, ways, we'll begin to see that spread corporately uh, through the church. Um, next month, we're going to do uh, something totally different um, between now and then. Uh, we want you to submit your questions to us. What would you like uh, Midnight Theology to uh, touch on? Uh, and we'll have a way for you to um, report back to us on our social media pages and ask your questions. And we're just going to uh, take a stab at uh, some of those questions um, and just uh, hear what's stirring in you as our listening audience and what you would like us to um, what you'd like us to talk about so uh, think of the, some of those questions and uh, we'll be happy to answer those next month until then hope everybody's doing well and we'll see you then bye now mm-hmm.